This episode of Commune Dads is brought to you by Twin Oaks Hammocks. Visit TwinOaksHammocks.com and use the coupon code DADS, that's capital D-A-D-S, for 10% off your entire order. Hello everybody, welcome to Commune Dads, the podcast about parenting and education in alternative culture. I'm Adder Oaks, I'm the father of... Connor, age one, and stepfather of Ellis, age five. And I'm Keegan, father of Sersha, who's eight months. We are here to share our parenting journey with you, and we hope to have fun doing it. Thank you all for joining us for episode nine of Commune Dads. Today we are going to... Today we're going to talk about sleep with a message from one of our listeners, and for that we'll be joined by our now recurring guest, Megan Lubda. This is the mother of Sarsha and Keegan's partner. We'll also be taking a look at a news story about a kidnapping in a commune, (laughs) Uh, and we'll be closing up with what's up on the commune and recommendations. Before we dive into things, I'd like to encourage you all to check out our Facebook page and like our page there. That's just facebook.com slash commune dads. The more likes we have, the more visibility we have. You can also follow us uh, on our website at communedads.com where we post all of our new episodes. And if you would like to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash commune dads for as little as $1 a month. Every little bit does make a difference. Also, feel free to just, like, shamelessly blast our media presence out there. So uh, if you don't want to give us money, but you like us very much, just repost everything that we post, and and that will uh, help us a lot. And it will make people think that we're so engaging that we have such dedicated fans. <laughs> We've got a, a news story. Oh, the news story, right. Um, this is not a, a parenting-related news story, but a commune-related news story. And it's been covered in a, a number of sources. We're looking at a USA Today article about it right now, which we'll link to on our show page. And the story involves... Uh, a kidnapping case. It's a high school teacher and his 15-year-old student. What are their names, Keegan? Elizabeth Thomas and Tad Cummins, um, both from Tennessee. So they they ran away together and uh, were eventually found in California in some cabin in the woods. But before they were there, they stayed for a little while at a commune out there called Black Bear Ranch. And you said you've, um, I had not heard of Black Bear Ranch, but you said people have passed through Twin Oaks from there? Yeah. Did you, I mean, did you know any details about them before reading this article, or you just knew it as a commune? Uh, mostly the latter, mm-hmm. and that it's, you know, rural, basically off the grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about it. Mm-hmm. And so they were... They were only there briefly, right? They um, Were they discovered there? No. So this is the funny thing, you know, the, the thing that sort of frustrates me about the sensationalism of news and 
of communes in the news is that for the first day or two, the article headlines were couple found that, you know, kidnapping victim found at commune in Uh California. And then a few days later, it was clarified that actually, no, they were found elsewhere, but they had stayed at this commune while they were on the lam. Never heard that expression before. On the lam? That means you're like on the run from the law? Yeah. Yeah. Learn something new every day. Yeah. So, um, this article actually made me really happy for communes and our filter. Uh, I like how good we are at filtering out people that are a bad fit. And, and I guess of that filter prevents us from being a place where, I don't know, criminals can hide easily. Um, you know, it seems like this commune and our commune both have work expectations from people and social expectations. Um, you could, you have to fit in and fitting in here means being a productive, uh, socially adept, member usually and it was hilarious to me that they were only there for about a week i guess yeah and and they were deemed to be a bad fit yeah i'm not sure if this usa today article says it but one article i read had a member specifically saying they weren't doing any work like they were just hanging out and making out all the time Uh uh-huh and this is an experience uh it's not the most common thing to happen at twin oaks but it's very clear when a guest is a bad fit, um, especially a longer-term guest. We've had guests be asked to leave, both for blowing off work and for being uh, socially problematic. So it's nice to see that this is a broader value in communities. Yeah. And I guess it's not that surprising when you think about it. It's like, well, communities are small, tight-knit places where uh, it's very important that certain work gets done such that they can keep on existing. And so, of course, we're going to have filters and we're going to try and keep people out that don't fit well. Yeah. And I think, you know, we do a pretty good job of of not letting people just drop in like that. Right. Um, and part of what we do is we, we offer good alternatives. Like we do a Saturday tour. You can schedule to come out and visit for a few hours. And then we have our three-week visitor program if you really want to check things out. And sometimes someone will, like stop here for a night if they're doing if they're on a journey you know sometimes like people are biking through the area or i don't know traveling via hitchhiking or something and Uh they'll want to check us out every once in a while it's clear like someone needs a place to crash uh and are kind of dodgy about what's going on in their life and we're like you know, you should you should keep moving. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, all these filters we have in place. Like we have, um, like if someone was, wants to just come here and crash, they at the very least need one member to officially be hosting them. And it seems like that's unlikely to happen if you just showed up at our doorstep. And which is what these people did in this article. But we also, even before someone comes for a visitor period, they have to make it through Valerie, if we're, and so, you know, Valerie will see what sort of person this is. Are they a good fit? Do they have any? Yeah, they have to make it through her by, by writing a letter yeah. about their intention to visit. Yeah, and and almost everybody, you know, if they're expressing intention in written form to come to Twin Oaks, they're probably, they have a good chance of being a, a decent fit anyway. Yeah, I don't actually know what the the percentages are like, but, you know, we don't hear about all the cases that Valerie rejects. Like, I think there are just kind of like, oh, 
this is a this is a weirdo that's not a good fit. Right. Um, and right. I don't, you know, I don't know what her criteria for weirdo is. I think she has very good warning signs that she looks out for. Yeah, and she's, I mean, she's one of the longer term members here. And so she's she's seen a lot of people come through and the ways that visitors can be problematic. And so I I have a lot of trust that she's she's filtering well. She does come to the, the CVP, which is the Community Visitor Program. Uh, it's a team of people that shepherd visitors through their time here. And so she'll come to us and for controversial cases and be like, I'm not sure about this person. It's officially your decision and leave it to us. So I don't know, I figure for every one of those, there's probably a handful that are obvious. And there's been, I guess, two or three of those since I joined CVP about a year ago. Okay, let's move on. Keegan, would you like to read Louisa's? Oh, sure. Um, so Louisa is a an ex-member of Twidoaks. I don't know how long she was here. She was here for a couple of years after I moved here, but I don't know her total stay. She met her partner here, and they had a wedding on the farm, and it was great. And then they moved away, and they now just had a kid. And Louisa sent us a message on Facebook after listening to our podcast, and had some questions for us about specifically sleep stuff, I guess, primarily. Okay, so I've got Louisa's email. Louisa writes, Oh, they're in they're in Denver. Louisa from Denver. Her child has reached an age where he's capable of sleeping longer stretches and was hoping that we could talk about sleep routines and sleep training. Do we just follow our baby's lead? Have we tried to enforce a schedule? Um, do we or did we co-sleep? Uh, when did our baby start nursing or waking less often at night? Do we think it had anything to do with our sleeping situation? Or was it just their age? When do we plan on having babies sleep in their own crib or room? And is co-sleeping the norm at Twin Oaks? Her baby is now four and a half months old and is waking still four to five times a night. They've been co-sleeping and just started putting him in a bassinet. And there hasn't been any change. Great. <clears throat> well, dedicated listeners will remember... Megan Lebda, this is Keegan's partner, who will be joining us to uh, answer Louise's question. Megan, say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. Would you like to first share a little bit about your experience with Sersha's sleep? Sure. All right, so Sersha's a pretty good sleeper. So, disclaimer for everything else I say, we just woke up from a terrible night's sleep. So when I was pregnant... And I was preparing for having a child. Most people read books about, I don't know, all kinds of things about raising babies. And I only cared about sleep. I, like, I had one book about how to make it through birth, which I never finished. And then I finished, uh, I think, like three or four books on sleep. Like, this was, my, my thinking was, if the baby slept, and therefore I slept, then whatever weird and difficult situations developed, I could deal with them because my brain still worked. I wasn't a sleep-deprived zombie. Um, yeah, Mala often says that the number one factor in physical and emotional health is sleep. That's great to know, because I was really motivated by um, a selfish desire to have myself sleep. <laughs> and it turns out this works well for the baby, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what all the, I mean, a lot of what we were reading said things like, good to prioritize your health because the better you are, the better you're able to be a parent. Um, I think that was a common message in the French book. 
Right. I, yeah, I agree. Um, and I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And even even when like one of us is getting stressed out with a baby, we do a good job of like passing her off to the next parent and be like, okay, I've reached a point, a breaking point. It's your turn with a baby. And then like breaking parent gets an hour or two to recover. Yeah. And so when we're dealing with a baby, we are generally in a, a good mood. So it does seem like you've used fairly effective sleep training regimes. Well, okay, so here's the thing. So Sirsha sleeps well, um, but it's not like we're doing any kind of magical technique. It's pretty common stuff, and we have no control for this experiment. So are we good sleep trainers? We like to think so. Maybe it's all just Sirsha. Um Yeah, one of my favorite parenting podcasters, uh, Allison Benedict, says that... <laughs> There's Sarsha. Uh, she says that, like, you know, with any problem with, with child rearing, whatever the last thing you did before the kid fixed their own problem is sort of attributed as the magical solution. Right. So that's what we did do a lot of sleep training. And, and the more I think about it and the more other parents' experiences that I hear, I kind of think the difference may have been that we started on, like, day two. Of baby's life, right. she had she had no time to ever develop bad habits. Yeah, I was surprised in Louise's email it said, "Okay, it's been four and a half months. Now we can expect um, to be able to do something like some sleep training or sleep should start improving." And I think that is, I mean, I think it is true that their sleep does tend to become more predictable at that age. But yeah, like Megan was saying, we immediately like day two. We're trying to brainstorm ways to make her sleep more regular. Yeah. And, and what is that? Yeah, what are some ways that you do that with the with a very young infant? So I think the the ways we started out were not that we were necessarily expecting her to sleep a long time, but it was how we handled the night wakings. Every time she would wake and be fussy, we would, you know, calmly and without eye contact or t- talking. Um, try and solve every possibly possible problem we could solve that may be causing the fussing before then re- reverting to nursing so that she never developed this habit of wake at night, immediately get the thing I really want. And instead it was wake at night, okay, I have to deal with stuff, and then eventually I get some nursing. And so I think she was less motivated to wake and get the candy immediately. Uh-huh. Um, I forgot that we did the, the everything but nurses. That's, that's a good, that seems like a clever strategy. Yeah. And so we don't do this anymore. Um, I think largely because when she wakes in the night, I no longer want to get up and do a diaper change and walk about the house. And she, like, I just want to go back to sleep. So now that her, her wakings are fewer, they are just immediately nursing back to sleep. And her, her sleep is less impressive like she used to sleep all night long and this rarely happens now and i think it's probably largely because i have lost energy for dealing with it and well you know what is our ideal way yeah i mean i also suspect one thing that we attribute connor's um change in sleep habits you know he was great for a while and he's now a very poor sleeper was when his teeth started coming in right um and, you know, and that's like, you know, teeth coming in is like, oh, at some point between six and 12 months, their teeth start coming in. 
And then they are constantly growing teeth for the next, I don't know, year or two? Yeah, yeah I was really disappointed to discover this. Um, so when Sersha started teething, like, her, her sleep was so good. She Most nights she slept all night. I even had her, like, I would nurse her standing up and then lay her down in a crib, not quite asleep, and she'd go to sleep. And she would stay asleep most of the night. And then, and then she started teething. And then she she was waking up, like, especially early in the evening, like, every 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Like, it was... Yeah. And, and so I was like, okay, while we're getting through this teething thing, I'm going to put her back in the bed so we can, you know, kind of be there immediately to calm her, and it did seem to help. You know, and then I said I hadn't actually read parenting books other than about sleep. <laughs> so then I looked up teething and was very disappointed to discover, oh, this is going to be happening for the next year. <laughs> there is no, there is no like, oh, we're going to have her back in the bed for a short time while this teething thing happens. Well, Connor also used to be a great sleeper up until, I don't know, about six months or so. Yeah, maybe even a little later. And then has just been very difficult for, I don't know, the past six months. Yeah, our, our sleep techniques are based mostly on this book by someone whose last name is Pantley, um, called the, the No Cry Sleep Solution. And it's sort of a, a conscious opposition to like cry it out methods. And basically the, the approach there is, you start off opposite the way you did. Uh, you sort of like give them everything they need um, and try to maximize sleep for as long as you can and then sort of slowly wean them. But I mean that in a broad, general sense. Um, so, for example, you know, Connor, he most nights, you know, he nurses before bed, but he doesn't fall asleep nursing because I'm putting him down at least the first time. So, like, the idea is, you know, you start by bouncing them until they're, like, totally asleep and then lie in bed with them and they're still asleep and then finally put them down. And then you do less of that. You bounce them until they're, like, nodding off but not quite asleep and then you put them down. And eventually you're, like, bouncing them for 30 seconds and they're still awake but they know, you know, you put them down and they fall asleep. I don't know, for a while it seemed like, great, like, it was, we were trending in all the ways that we hoped to, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it just, it reverted. And now it's like, I can put him down, like, some nights I go to put him down and it's totally easy, and then other times, you know, maybe it's because he's more conscious being, like, he decides, Adder's not putting me down tonight, I am gonna try to fling myself out of his <laughs> arms and just scream and reach for the door mm-hmm. as long as I can. Right, I do think that's, uh, like, in addition to teething, the thing I noticed was, um, because Sersha can now, like, roll around um, and crawl a little bit, when she was, before she could do that, she was stuck on her back, you know? <laughs> uh, and she learned to, like, roll over pretty late in the game, I think. And so it seemed like that would, because she had no other options other than, I don't know, crying, settling herself down, and I guess that, and that's it. I feel like she was more likely to settle herself. And now, with because she knows the room is full of interesting things she can roll over to. Yeah. Um, she doesn't even need us to entertain her. She just realizes she's awake and then starts flopping around. And she's not going to fall asleep if she's rolling around in the bed. Right, yeah, I think as her, her brain develops where it used to be, 
but she couldn't help but be overcome by sleep. And now she is capable of keeping herself awake. Mm-hmm. And even when she's terribly tired, it's so much more fun to play with that toy over there. And so that's what she goes for. Yeah. We so Louisa asked about about co sleeping and where your kid is sleeping. I know you all had Sersha in a crib at a, a you know at a young age. Yeah. Um, does she still sleep in a crib? Or no, she... <laughs> the crib is still in my room, but she doesn't sleep in it. Um, yeah, we we really wanted to kind of like trick her. So before she was old enough to realize that she was sleeping in a bed with her parents, we would move her to a, to a crib and therefore she would never experience the the pain of knowing she had been kicked out. Yeah. And this works beautifully up until teething. Um, and at this point, yeah, I think when our, our next move is that she's going to move to her own bed soon. And I think that's going to be very difficult for everyone involved. But before we, before we moved her to the crib, we had her, um, her first sleeping situation was in a bassinet, a bed top bassinet, which also worked really well. And also I think for months she was totally unaware that her mother was right next to her. Yeah. And the, and the bassinet was mostly to help me deal with my anxiety of rolling over onto her. Mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't do that if she was in the bassinet and therefore I could sleep. Yeah, it goes back to the like me sleeping that was better for the whole situation. Yeah, I love that. That bassinet, the other thing it helped with was we were less worried about her like rolling off sort of the side of the bed. Yeah. Uh, I mean even near the wall, like it's the gap between the bed and the wall. And the bassinet was hefty enough that she couldn't scoot herself off the edge. Um, and it just seemed like this really inexpensive, simple way to do co-sleeping without any of the concerns <laughs> that parents rationally or irrationally have about co-sleeping. Yeah, and and we we kept her in the bassinet until she was like literally too big to fit into it. <laughs> <laughs> like she, if she moved at all during the night, she would end up with limbs flopped over the edge, mm-hmm. and that's the point at which we, we moved to the crib. We tried a bassinet really early on, and it just didn't stick and for a while we would well i guess he was we would just put him down in my bed and then at some point sort of transfer in the middle of the night like Catherine and i don't like to sleep in the same bed uh not because we're lacking love or affection (laughs) but because uh especially with a baby uh it's really nice to to not try to put a bunch of people on a bed together Mm -hmm. um and so now like what we do is Connor has his own little room. It's sort of like a, looks like a giant closet that's part of my room that just has a bed in it. And yeah, he spends the first part of the evening by himself. And, you know, I might have to go and these days a couple, three times, settle him back down. And then at some point, you know, Catherine takes him to bed with her when she sleeps overnight. So last night, gosh, I remember she settled him back down in his bed at 11 or something, or 10.30, and I said, oh, I'll take the next waking, and it was 2.30 in the morning before he woke again, which, oh. like, for us is, oh my gosh, it was a it was a point of rejoice. And I should check in with her, because, like, this happened the other day, too, except that when he did wake up at 3 in the morning after sleeping for a huge stretch, he stayed awake for an hour and a half, uh-huh. and that was... Maddening. Yeah. Uh, right, speaking of the not sleeping in the same room as your partner, Megan and I, I think for the first time, yeah. <laughs> deliberately in our entire relationship, 
Is that true? I think it might be that that we slept in the same house and and neither of us was in trouble with the other. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and didn't sleep in the and same bed. And didn't sleep in the same bed. Yeah. And I I laid down in my bed and then whatever seven and a half eight hours later I just went boom popped into existence. Yeah. And I have not experienced that in a long time. I think even just in terms of like like we always do the thing where I go to bed first. And then you come an arbitrary amount of time later, and then I have to like resettle because you wake yeah. me up. So the fact that it was just like one point in time where I had to like calm down and go to bed, and there was no baby around, mm-hmm. uh, it was I've never had I haven't had uninterrupted sleep since Sarah she was born, even though she's a great sleeper. Yeah, I think the the times that she has slept for like seven hours in a row, like without me waking up at all, I usually wake up and I am, yeah, I am over the moon, like so happy with life. Yeah, because even though she's... So, like, Sersha stayed in bed for 11 hours last night. But but there were so many, you know, waking in there that I still feel exhausted. I I wonder... I feel like I do this sort of half-co-sleeping thing where, like, we're spending the night with Connor, but when he, you know, he goes to bed at 7 and we go to bed at 11, he's sleeping by himself during that time. I wonder if we have any listeners that are really into co-sleeping that are sleeping with their kids their entire night. Are you all going to bed at seven? How does that how does that work for people that that really do co-sleeping? I've often wondered this. I I feel like maybe where well I think this is again this is about parents sleep. Like I would be happier if I also were sleeping eleven broken hours. Yeah. So, like, I didn't go to sleep until 11 last night, which 11 to 7, 8 hours, great, I should be fine, but it's broken sleep. I should be going to bed at 8.30. Um, one thing Louise asked that we haven't talked about is um, how, just generally on the farm, how common is co-sleeping as an arrangement? Is it the norm, or are we three doing something unusual? Um, and, actually, I don't know the answer to that. I assume it's common here, more common... <laughs> More common than uh-huh. elsewhere, but um, I don't know if it's 100% or close to 100%. Yeah. I, I think it's overwhelmingly the norm. I think we're a little scandalous having this crib here that we're <laughs> sleeping in at all. Uh-huh. And, and the bassinet maybe even is, is a, bit, um, a bit strange. It separates us from our child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's the hippie way to deal with an infant sleeping. Yeah, I mean, I think we live in the land of, you know, crunchy parenting and, and not the Dr. Sears parenting library. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to say that Dr. Sears <laughs> and crunchy are not, like, like Dr. Sears is a, a, a little bit removed from what I would call crunchy parenting. Maybe. I've been, I've been surprised when I read it. Like, some of the things I'm like, this is so mainstream, and some of it I'm like, wow, this is straight from the, you know, the 70s. Yeah. And in contrast, we, the sleep books that we read, we read like the, I'm a super nanny kind of. Right, yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a, you know, the baby nurse to the stars mm-hmm. kind of kind of thing. And didn't you say you were, uh, to Louisa, you were like, I'm a little embarrassed that these are the books that we chose, but like, you felt like you could filter out the stupid stuff and extract nuggets yeah. of wisdom from them. Yeah. And there was a lot of stupid stuff. Um, and... Can you name one very stupid thing? Yeah, well, the, the thing that I think most contradicted our lifestyle and the sleep advice I wanted was that um, all of those mainstreaming sleep books are very bad on breastfeeding. 
they're, they're almost all universally assuming that you are feeding formula from, if not day, then week one. Wow. That's surprising because I do think breastfeeding, I mean, at least in the medical industry, like, you know, we had Hunter born in a hospital and they were just like throwing pro breastfeeding literature at us from every side. Huh. Um, I think that's a fairly recent turn, though. I, I think it is too, and I think. And right, and maybe the the length of time that you're breastfeeding. Right, because I think if you consider, like, if you consider yourself to have a breastfed baby, that may only be one month of breastfeeding. Yeah, and and the the sleepless I read said if you are breastfeeding, then you should still pump every time so that you can measure the exact amount of milk your baby is getting <laughs> at every feeding. Wow. Yeah, and so that that was confusing. And I did spend some time um, with a breast pump kind of trying to look at how much milk was coming out versus like, how it felt physically so that I could have a better idea of when I was nursing. Okay, I think she got about this much milk. That should be good for a night. Well, thank you very much, Louisa, for giving us something to talk about. We hope our advice, or at least our experience, is helpful to you. And we hope to hear an update about how things are going. Yeah, thanks, Louisa. It was, uh, I particularly enjoyed this. I feel like for the first time I got the, the mommy group on the internet experience, um, which doesn't, doesn't happen here on the commune much. Uh, and it was especially great to be able to share that experience with someone who had commune experience. Hey, thanks for joining us, Megan. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Hi, everyone. So our listeners should know that whenever we have Megan and Keegan on at the same time, we're also always going to have Sersha on, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I guess maybe there will be some times when she's asleep. I was worried there was some times during the recording where like, Megan was trying to get some point across and there was a constant stream of screaming <laughs> behind it. And so we'll see if the editing keeps the baby and Megan in together. Yeah, we'll see what I can do. Um, I also wanted to possibly add... Was I being critical of Louisa when I said I was surprised that she waited until four and a half months to? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I, I think because I think like I'm not. I'm I'm sure she was thinking about sleep stuff before then and reading about it. I think it was only interesting in contrast to like Megan and I's like near obsession about. Okay, from day one we're gonna hit the ground running and fix it, even though we like didn't have like genius solutions. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think Louisa's timeline is more typical than your timeline yeah yeah um right i mean i have even read i mean at the time that megan and i were doing like reading about like sleep schedules and stuff it seemed like most of the other sources were like don't begin sleep schedules until x amount of time has passed you don't train babies when they're newborns and we deliberately ignored that advice (laughs) i guess yeah it is funny you know this whole discussion about advice I mean, I do think we learn things from the books we read, but so much of it, we're coming in with our own stuff anyway. When you're like, well, I read this book, and then I just picked out all the stuff I already agreed with. Right. Um, how much of that advice are you really taking? Right. Yeah, I do. Right. I, I have a general skepticism of... Uh, I mean, I think sharing parenting stories and parenting techniques is good as a way of bonding with other parents and stuff, but I don't think this style of let's get everyone talking about what they did and like, Oh, this really worked really well for Jennifer. Like I should try that for my kid. Like that's just not 
I think the appropriate way to go about selecting what parenting techniques and sleep techniques you should use. I guess maybe like... So feel free to ignore the last 10 minutes of our show. <laughs> well, you know, I think what the, the good aspect of it can be, I mean, one, you know, the sharing of stories, people can empathize with bad sleep, but also we do reference the books and you, you said it like a bad thing, like, oh, we just take what we want from them. But we do this, everyone does this with every book they ever read, ever. Yeah. There's no way of encountering knowledge without filtering it. Interestingly, just between the two of us, we hit a pretty wide spectrum of sleep-related books, from like the nannies to the French people to the attachment parenting. Our sponsor for today is our very own Twin Oaks Hammocks. So Twin Oaks Hammocks is the company owned by uh, our commune, Twin Oaks. And uh, these hammocks are made by us and our fellow communards. I guess, Keegan, you and I don't really do much hammock making anymore. No, but, yeah, we used to. It used to be the main job that I did when I first moved here for maybe the first year and a half. All the profits that come from this business come straight to us. It puts uh, the food on the table, at least the food that we're not growing in our garden. Today, we want to talk about our oak weave hanging chairs. These are our premium, beautiful product. Can you tell our listeners what a hanging hammock chair is? So our hammock chairs are actually my favorite product that we make related to hammocks. And they're like a porch swing, but for only one butt. And they are made, the the butt portion is made of uh, our hammock material. It's woven um, by hand. Um, the whole thing is made by hand, and it's, I guess, woven into a beautiful white oak frame. They're extremely comfortable. We have them all over the Twin Oaks property, um, and I tend to think of them as our best-selling hammock product. At least we sell every single one that we make, right? Yes. Yeah, the the demand is always there to, to keep up with the supply. And we have them all over the farm here. You know, they hold up really well outside. Um, they've got a, a double coat of, of spar varnish, so, you know, while we tell people to take them in in the wintertime, they can sort of sit out in the in the rain and weather that for a long time. People also use them uh, indoors. We, they come with a little kit for screwing it into a brace of some kind. And so people around here also have them in their bedrooms, um, which is pretty cool. Uh-huh. And the wood frame is such that you can, it's easy to sort of hang it up on a wall, too, which is nice. You can kind of get it out of the way. So visit... TwinOaksHammocks.com. I'm going to spell that out. T-W-I-N-O-A-K-S-H-A-M-M-O-C-K-S.com. And use the coupon code DADS, that's capitals D-A-D-S, for 10% off your entire order. You can buy one of our oak weave hanging chairs or check out our hand-woven rope hammocks or our outdoor fabric bed hammocks. And... Uh, as we mentioned, this is our community business, so every penny earned from this uh, is ultimately going towards us and our fellow communards. But by using the coupon code, you can show your support for the Commune Dads podcast, and it'll let our fellow communards know how awesome we are. Okay, so what do we got next? Um, so the segment is, what's up on the farm? What's up on the commune? What's up on the shit? <laughs> <laughs> we call it the farm, though. We don't say, like, ah, it's so nice to be back on the commune these days. That's true. Yeah. I'll keep it together for the show. We could we could change it. I mean, it's not too late to change <laughs> it to farm. What's up on the farm? Okay. There it is. Uh-huh. 
So we just had one of our big Twin Oaks holidays, Beltane, um, which is the pagan version of May Day. It's a holiday that I have never participated in until this year. So also, I mean, you say it's the pagan version of May Day. I didn't know what May Day was until I moved to Twin Oaks. Oh, I guess also it, May Day is the secular version of Beltane. Uh, <laughs> uh, you didn't know what May Day was? May Day is the big... I mean, I guess you didn't have... Right, it's the big radical holiday. Beltane is the traditional fertility ritual welcoming of Spring Day, right? Is that... Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think that's it. Um, and I've never gone to it because... I'm not pagan. I don't really, I'm not really into nature that much. It's so woo-woo. It's very woo. I actually, I went to where people were gathering in the courtyard mm-hmm. and, you know, everyone was in face pain and had like leaves and shrubbery all over them. Mm-hmm. And they were like singing songs. And I was just like, oh, I can't, I can't <laughs> do it. And I left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Every year I feel like, because I used to live in the courtyard. And so every year I'd be like sitting in my room on my computer, and then I hear just, like, dum-dum, 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 and, like, some, you know, some songs, and I'd be like, oh, it's, it's Beltane, I totally forgot it's Beltane, not leaving my room. Yeah, so you went this year, what, what, well, what inspired you to do so? And Megan was up there, uh, with the baby, and so it was the obvious destination for my afternoon, but I guess I also just felt, it's been five years, I should participate in one of the traditional Twin Oaks holidays. Uh, it was actually really nice. I uh, So I got there after the procession up to the Maypole. Brittany, a friend of ours, set up a blanket, had a couple bottles of port, um, and some massage oil, and <laughs> was just like, hello, come sit down, everything's lovely. And apparently she's done this at least one other year, and claims that she told me this last year too. But if someone had told me like, oh, Beltane... It's this pagan stuff, but really you just come hang out with your friends and drink some port and get a massage. Like, I might be more likely to go. We should we should do that more often. Uh, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a great way to spend time with people you care about. So it was great. I got up there with the baby. People were still sort of dancing around the maypole. Can you explain what that looks like a little bit? Um, the maypole is a pole, and it has all these ribbons around it, and multicolored ribbons, and... There's a few strands of them. At this point, there were only like three or four strands left. The big deal pagans on the farm were holding them and sort of dancing and swaying. And um, <laughs> and people were trying to climb the pole. I think the idea is there's a wreath on top of it that symbolizes a vagina, I believe. And you, <laughs> you are supposed to climb up to the top and touch it or something. Um, what I do with vaginas. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, uh, because we're a hippie commune, like people, if you fail to reach it, because it's kind of a tall pole, effort is all that matters. And so we all clap and we're like, yeah, it's just the effort. Hooray. And so like four or five people tried it and then most of them got it. And, and then they did an elaborate, like letting down of the wreath ritual ritual. And of course the pole is sort of phallic and the wreath is sort of... How is it, like, physically, how is it let down? Uh, so the ribbons, the, the four remaining ribbons that the organizers were holding were, like, sort of tucked under the, the wreath. So they were holding the wreath up. And so they were gradually slackening oh, the ribbons yeah. and, and let the wreath down. And it had to be it had to be jostled a bit, I think. Um, but it eventually made its way. Um, and then... They do some 
um, four elements like, oh, thank you, fire, thank you, water, something, something, something. People shout out things. And then the ritual is over. There are two characters, the god and the goddess, who are picked every year, who are supposed to be the embodiment of fertility or something. <laughs> um, and so we usually pick some couple. A young we like. love couple. Yeah, right. Er- and and, um, and they're supposed to scurry off into the woods um, at this point, never to return <laughs> until next year. I think there's, there's supposed to be some sexual aspect to it, but I think they just they like left and then two minutes later they came back. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it was fun. That was the whole thing, and then we just like, you know. And then did like did people generally stick around and hang out, or is it just like you and your friends massaging each other with some pork? I think I mean it was a uh, it was actually it was a low attendance this year. I think in the past it's been sort of a huge event, and so other than our blanket of pork and massage. Uh, the event dispersed. Hmm. So um, they were there for a while. Uh, Megan and I left for baby nap purposes. Um, and they were gone. I checked back like an hour and a half later and they were all gone. That's a cool event. Yeah. So have you, what is your history with um, Beltane? Have you never been? No, I've never been. I've never been. This no. is the closest I've been. <laughs> was like walking to the courtyard and kind of thinking, I had Connor for the afternoon. I guess he had gotten up from his nap. Hmm. Oh, he went to bed. He started his nap kind of early. And then, you know, I was like, what should I do with my afternoon? And Catherine was like, well, it's Beltane. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. And I went down and I was just, I don't know. It's just so not my scene. Right. You know, it's not like I'm like poo-pooing it, but it's like, I just don't feel like a part of this. Right. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I had no idea. I thought I was the only one of our generation that had refused to go for years. It's still sort of puzzling to me precisely what is meant by a lot of the rituals. Like, so, um, there seems to be no unifying, like, theological understanding. Are the four element things taken sort of literally? That kind of stuff. Like, I just have no idea. You'd think I know this because Brittany is a good friend of mine, but I guess she doesn't talk to me about paganism very much. I... (laughs) Do you remember? I just like heard people talking about this the other day. I had totally forgotten about it. The were you part of the like witchy spell that we tried to cast? Yeah, to prevent Donald Trump getting elected. Yeah, yeah. There's video proof of that. (laughs) 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 Did not work. I don't know what that says about paganism, but we failed to get Hillary Clinton elected with magic. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't think we're you know. Don't you have to have, like, midichlorians in your blood or something to make that work? I don't know. Yeah, that was really fun. That was the only fun part of the evening, I think, after things became very real. I want to see the video. I never saw the video. Yeah, I haven't either. I think Brittany is hoarding it. Is that is that all I want to talk about for the farm? I think so. Okay. Let's move good. on to recommendations. I'm going to go first, because I haven't had recommendations for two weeks. So, there's this great kid's book called Momoko. M-A-M-O-K-O? I think that's it, yeah. Um, I first saw this book in our living room here in Tupelo, and uh, it has no words in it. It's just a giant picture book with only pictures. And when I initially saw it, I was repulsed by it. I generally, strangely for being a father, I hate children's books. I think they're awful. They have horrible stories. The prose is atrocious. Uh, I think you're reading the wrong children's books. <laughs> probably. I mean, there's, I sort of have this idea that there's like 
I don't know, in the past decade or so, like, mm-hmm. really good, clever children's books have come out, like, Mo Willems, you know? Uh, no, no, Like, Nuffle Bunny and the, the Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. I've seen Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus. It's okay. It's alright. <laughs> uh, I mean, they also tend to be, like, really uh, nauseatingly moralizing. Yeah, we actually, at some point, we should purge the farm of the Berenstain Bears. What do the Berenstain Bears do? That's awful. They're, every single one is is immoral. Uh-huh. It's like, the Berenstain Bears and too much junk food. I see, yeah. Okay, so you agree with me that the intense moralizing in children's books can be problematic? Yes, can be problematic. Right. I, I do think, like, reading books is a way that we learn our morals, and that's okay. Right. Yeah, I know, I, I'm, like, fine with the existence of morally troubling situations in books that are resolved, they're just, I mean, I guess because they're children, they're like, they're just very hit you over the head with the moral, whereas a lot of these situations are ambiguous. Um, certainly, like, don't punch your sister or whatever is a pretty good, fine moral, but most of them just seem fairly unsubtle, and I guess kids aren't equipped to deal with anything that is subtle, and that's fine. But I just want, I want, like, straightforward adventure... Yeah, or excitement, you know, or like uh, there's a book of poetry that I have that is um, the introduction says it's explicitly on the side of the children, so it's oh, it's like anti-adult. I've seen this. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's I saw Esau. Yeah, uh, and and some of the poems are are hilarious. Some of them are just like whatever, but I like the that setup where it's like this is a book of poems for children from their perspective. Keegan would love to hear listeners your your children's book recommendations, so mm-hmm. post them on our show page at communedads.com or on our Facebook page. So this is a that was a wild tangent from why Momogo is great. So So because... I thought you would be I thought you were appalled by this just because you think reading is important and there aren't any words in it. Yeah, I mean that is that's part of it. Um, I've had this fantasy like of wondering how important are picture books? Like, do we need like children historically haven't always had picture books, you know, they learned to read from the Bible or whatever you happen to have in the house. People didn't own a thousand books like they do today. And I was like, are picture books helping or hurting? And I was only recently convinced of the importance of picture books because there was um, a research paper that I read that pointed out that picture books that have words in them, um, they actually include words that we don't commonly use uh, in everyday speech. And my, Does it have examples of words? Like, no, it doesn't. But I'm, I like so. I notice this whenever I because I, I frequently read Sarah Shea books uh, that have words, but I prefer because I hate the books. I just make up my own words, and uh-huh. I notice like I don't know. There's one thing about the sea and the sandy beach, right? And I, I don't think if I saw this page, I would use the word sea okay. or, or sandy. sandy. Yeah. yeah, and so it like uh, I always thought of children's books, especially picture books as having simpler language than than other choices. And it turns out, like, they, they don't use everyday speech. They use slightly more advanced language that kids might not encounter in their everyday speech. And so I was like, oh, that's a good reason. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I always thought the big reason is that it just, you know, puts them on this escalator towards reading. Yeah. Like, books are a part of your life. Right. Yeah, and they always have been for as long as you can remember. Right. Yeah, my big worry was that Books without pictures are boring, you know? Like, I don't, I never wanted that idea to get to their heads. I always wanted books are awesome, period. Like, 
books with more words and less pictures are better. Are better, yeah. And I worry that having picture-centric books makes the lead time into reading text-only books longer. But yeah. I don't know. I'm just making this up. I've, I've made the mistake a while ago of... So during PDU, our afternoon elementary homeschool group that I teach, <laughs> um, I made the mistake of, you know, we have a free reading time, and I said that the kids were allowed to read graphic novels. Whoa. Uh, and I do think, like, I mean, part of this is because I think there are lots of intelligently written graphic novels, yeah. and, and you know, the text is interesting, and the stories are worth understanding. But I just, I just regret it because the kids always want to do that. Like, Lily just wants to read the Babysitter's Club graphic novelization. Huh. Uh, and then, like, Sammy is always reading shonen, shonen manga. Uh-huh. And, and I don't know, like, I don't know what I expected, but now I'm just like, ah, oh, it's rotting your brains, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just, there's, there's a different skill in, in, being able to build a scene completely from words and, you know, compared to seeing these words and having all these visual cues to put it together. Definitely. Um, one thing that made me feel better about, about all of this was um, Rosie, mother of Lydia, uh, tells lots of stories. I didn't realize this. Like, uh, Lydia will just be like, tell me a story, tell me a story. And Rosie will just be like, uh, hold on. Okay. And then we'll, like, make up something about a rabbit. And this made me feel like that's something maybe I can do with my daughter. And that's something that is very word-centric um, and imagination-centric. And if it feels fun, then hopefully it can help bridge that gap between picture-only and word-only books. But yeah, I definitely worry about the comic book thing also. It's like, if you can just keep going... Comic books are so rich these days that you could just... If you're just looking for complexity in picture books, there's a clear path from uh, Redfish, Bluefish... All the way up to Neil Gaiman, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's a little worrisome. And I definitely see, you know, Zad and Sammy are obsessed with comic books. And Yeah, I mean, they've had their, like, Harry Potter phase. Right. Which is, or at least Zad has. I don't know if Sam's actually read it. Mm-hmm. I do know Mala has said that, like, when she was young, she, you know, she was always reading real books. And her brother Raj was always reading comic books right and you know she grew up and moved to a commune and he is a university professor right yeah my my old boss used to talk about how he used to hide out in his like middle school bathroom reading wolverine with his friend (laughs) and they would like pass the comics under the toilet like under the stalls um so and he's right he's a wonderful reader and you know he'll just read cover to cover technical books and absorb it all yeah i don't know if my fears are founded but I was one of the kids that was like, I mean, I read some comics, but I always thought you're cooler, smarter, better if you read not comic books and not picture books. So this book that is no (laughs) words and all pictures, why do you like it? I like it because... um, And what's it called? It's called Momoko, M-A-M-O-K-O. And uh, it's set up such that you or your child has to tell the stories in it. It's got kind of like a Where's Waldo feel to it. Um, there's all these characters, and they're advancing through their day from page to page. 
And so you can look at, pick a character on page one and tell a story about them as you move through it. And, and are the stories, like, obvious? Like, what are the characters It's doing? just like, oh, the, the cow is shopping here, and then the cow goes to the weight room, and then the cow, you know, meets their friend, and then they, you know, it's like, they're pretty simple stories. There's a few complex ones about, like, there's an art thief, and then it's caught by an alien and stuff. <laughs> but I like it because it allows me to open a book and ramble to my child for as long as her patience will allow. And you can or just, like, your patience or my will patience. allow. And, you know, I, I find uh, my own rambling more entertaining than your average children's book. Yeah, um, that's true. And so, especially because kids, you know, they want the same book right over and over again. And I could read Momoko a thousand times and see it in a thousand different ways depending on my mood and and still have fun just making up stupid stuff about the characters. So I like it because of that. It's like a it's a very low pressure rereading sort of book that keeps me away from the atrocious prose of most children's books. Anyway, that's my long segment on Momoko and that's literacy. Great. So that's my recommendation. My recommendation you know, I have this idea that we should like pick like niche things and uh, and share them with the world. But mm-hmm. my recommendation today is going to be what is universally recognized as one of the greatest movies of all time, uh-huh. and that's Free Willy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we loved that movie when I was a kid. My brother like. You know, he had, like, piano lessons for a year or whatever, mm. and, and like, the one thing I think he took away <laughs> from it was that he could play the Free Willy theme. It's a good theme. I still sing it sometimes here. <laughs> also Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's a good Which one. is also, like, it's kind of a... It's a heavy film. It's got a good soundtrack, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not Free Willy. <laughs> I think there's, like, a recent remake of that. Oh, God. Um, I was going to say The Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah. We recently, so uh, both the book and the movie, Alice and I came across this uh, abridged and beautifully illustrated version mm-hmm. uh, on the farm. And it's all original. The original text is just cut. It's uh-huh. not rewritten. And that was great. And so we read that whole thing. And then are now reading the the full novelization. It's a whole long series, right? Isn't and it's just... a whole yeah. So I bought the I or I didn't buy it. I found it up uh, in the library here. There's it's like I'm using my fingers to demonstrate to Keegan, but uh, listeners can't see that. It's several inches thick, and it's the first five books in the Oz series. Whoa. So yeah, we're still actually we're nearing the end of the rereading the first one in in full. Yeah, why is it so great? Uh, because it's it's written for kids, but it's a you know it's a full novel, right? So it's something that a five year old can appreciate, but that I'm also interested in, mm-hmm. uh, and that that helps a lot. And it's you know the main character is a kid, and I didn't realize sort of in the in the novel, my impression is that Dorothy is is a lot younger than the like. 20-year-old Judy Garland trying to look like she's 12. Like, in the story, she seems like she's more like 7 or something. Oh, okay. I always thought of her as a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And then the movie is just fantastic. I mean, part of why it's fantastic is that, like, it's the first time 
Ellis has ever watched a full-length film. Mm. Uh, so I guess my other recommendation is, like, don't show your young children too many movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, like, you know, the sets and the dancing and the music, uh, they're all pretty wonderful. One of the only things I remember from the movie is one of the witches, the sister of the, the main evil witch. Doesn't she get squished by a house? Yeah. And then her feet are sticking out? Yeah. That scared the shit out of me when it's I was a kid. It's really weird. And then, like, the, yeah, the, the slippers, or the, the feet, like, roll back under the house ah. if, 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 for no reason. It's kind of <laughs> kind of freaky. Uh-huh. Ellis was freaked out by the whole sequence where they're in the witch's castle. Uh-huh. Um, like with the flying monkeys? Yeah, I've heard of people being afraid of the flying monkeys. I guess that was part of it. It was also just like after she was captured, there are all these guards around, and and the witch is just like telling Dorothy that she's gonna kill her. Mm-hmm. And like, like Ellis and I had read the book. He knew what was gonna happen, right? But he he wasn't. He was he was very afraid, and he would like ask me like, "What's gonna happen to her?" Mm-hmm. I was like. Don't you know? There's a bucket of water nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that freaked him out. Um, yeah, I'm also, I've been, uh, I've probably mentioned this before, but I'm trying to think of like first movies to watch with Sosha because I watch, I love movies. I have this progression in mind from whatever she watches when she's whatever, three years old, uh, up until like whatever the most difficult movie to watch in the world is that is of artistic value, maybe something like Schindler's List, right? I thought of um, Princess Bride. I think oh, the Princess Bride. The Princess Bride is a great movie. Mm-hmm. And you like that's under you could get something out of that if you were like three to five maybe. Right? Yeah. It's I like fun so. adventure, some silly. It's also you know, it's a book. You could read the book. Read the book, yeah. Okay. I've never read the book. Have you read the book? I haven't. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's our show. Thank you all for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app you like. Visit our page at commingdads.com. If you have any questions, comments, or want to tell Keegan what children books he should get, send us an email at dads at commingdads.com or message us on Facebook. Take care, everyone. <laughs>